Hey, Heartbreakers, welcome back to another Breakdown bonus episode. Today, we're going to be talking about controlling partners with Amy Head, licensed clinical social worker. She works in Georgia in private practice. I'm so grateful, Amy, for you to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So let's just get right into it. So we're talking about controlling partners today. In an unhealthy relationship, what would that look like? We got to see it a little bit in the episode that I put out this week, but just from like an overarching look, how would that come to pass in a really unhealthy situation? I think one of the main things is if the partner seems to be dominant or self-serving or everything is sort of bent toward that person's best interest apart from your best interest or the partnership best interest. So if it's always kind of what's in it for me and there's sort of a lack of respect that kind of underlies communication, um, getting their needs met, uh, what they expect or require from the partner. So that's kind of the overarching thing. I think when it technically seems to feel like this is all about that person getting what they need, regardless of whether or not they respect or meet the needs of the partner. A lot of people can write off control as Well, maybe they're just a little neurotic or they have controlling tendencies. How do you differentiate the two? Like somebody like because I consider myself a control freak. How would you differentiate that between somebody who is abusive in a controlling way and somebody who is just a little bit neurotic, essentially? Yeah. So, I mean, I think all of us have some control issues. I mean, that's just part of being human. Right. But I think it's more like kind of what underlies that. Are you controlling at the disrespect or the discounting of other people? Or do you kind of take into consideration what they need and maybe there's an opportunity for negotiation, for compromise, for conversation, for discussion? So I think so we can have tendencies to be controlling. There's really nothing wrong with that. I mean, we kind of need to so that we, you know, stand up for ourselves and we make our path and we do our thing and we don't get rolled over by everybody. But at the same time, we want to look for pattern, right? Like we all can be a little over controlling sometimes when we're extra stressed or when we have a lot going on that we weren't expecting. But I think the ultimate idea is, are we respecting other people's boundaries and are we respecting other people? And if the answer is generally, you know, not really, then that kind of tells us the person is more controlling than just tends to have control issues at times. I mean, we all have days that are one off or a week even that's one off. But what is the pattern of that person? That's what I usually look for. You know, what is the pattern and is that pattern healthy? Is that pattern making me feel supported and uplifted and encouraged? Or is that pattern making me feel bad? Mm. So that's kind of what I think we kind of can look at. Yeah. And that was something that really stood out to me in the main episode that I put out this week. It was very clear that her ex-husband had a pattern of control, specifically when it surrounded her family. So, for example, if it was Mother's Day, like it was Mother's Day the day after their wedding, and he was very adamant that like, They would go see his family, but they couldn't go see her family. And it very much seemed like he was trying to isolate her from her family and those that were closest to her. And I couldn't help but wonder why a partner would want to be controlling in that kind of way. Why do people who are controlling in the abusive sense, like where does that stem from? Ultimately, it comes from fear. Like they don't want to have no control. They know they, they feel the need to have control. Maybe they've been brought up in a situation where they didn't have control or they were always kind of overpowered. They didn't have a voice. Uh, maybe they're in a work situation where they don't have power, so they take the power out in the relationship. But I think ultimately it comes from overcompensation from fear based in our own inadequacies, our lack of self-esteem, feeling like we're not good enough. 
And then you think about it, like generally, like in our friendships and things, we want to build our friends up. Like we're not our best friends aren't people that we tear down usually. Right. But if we're but if we're feeling a lack, then a lot of times we operate from that lack. So, you know, I, I always say like, you know, people give what they have available to give. So if I have compassion, if I have empathy, I'm going to give that away. But if I have anger, if I have fear, if I have a need to control, I'm going to give that away. So you can't really give what you don't have. So I think a lot of it might be conditioned over time in early relationships. Some of it might be current situation where they feel powerless or they don't feel like they're measuring up. They didn't get the promotion. They're being overlooked in their sports teams or in their whatever. Even kids can do this, right? To, to friends or to you know people they know. So they give that to other people. Does that make sense or? Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, because I say like hurt people, hurt people and heal people, heal people. And so like the, the only conclusion I could come up in my mind was, well, this person's really hurt, but I'm not even sure people who tend to lash out or lean into these types of abuse know that they're hurt. So I, I guess, and this is like solve trauma in two minutes, but okay. So let's say I'm in, an, in a relationship with a partner that's controlling and abusive and I, I'm listening to this podcast and I think, damn, I think my partner's really hurt, but I don't even know where to begin with this person is like the blanket answer therapy. Like, where would you even start with that type of person? I mean, that's a tough question because I've always said you have to know your audience, right? So you have to know kind of who that person that you're dealing with, that you're in a relationship with is. Is that person open to outsiders? Is that person open to your ideas? Is that person open to interventions? If the answer is kind of generally no, then I don't think saying, hey, we need to go to therapy is probably going to be a, a good door opener right away. But it might be more something like speaking from I statements so that they don't have the opportunity to get defensive on being feeling like they're being blamed to say something like, you know, I just noticed that every time this comes up, I feel like I get blamed for this. And then ask a question. Can you actually tell me what I did wrong? Can you actually tell me where I screwed up? And then see if they can answer that. They'll probably, if they have an answer, then you can deal with that and say, okay, you know what? You're right. I did that. Or you know what? I don't see where that was. Remind me where that was. There's not, often not a lot of accountability in people who exert their power and their control because people generally are afraid or they walk on eggshells. They don't know how to really respond. But if you can kind of empower yourself to, to put it out there, their response is going to give you a lot of information, right? So if you say to them, I don't really understand where this is coming from. We were just talking about going out to eat and now all of a sudden you're blaming me for the fact that blah, blah, blah. What, what did I do? Where's that coming from? Their response is going to let you know either they take responsibility or they don't. They are only interested in gaslighting you or blaming you. And then at that point, we have to make some decisions. Maybe I go to therapy on my own to see why I'm sort of staying in this when it's not best for me. Or maybe I tell my partner, my whatever, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, whatever is, I am not feeling good about this. I'm going to seek some outside help. Mm. That right there might kind of elicit some reactions from the person too. They may not want to try to isolate like you mentioned before. And then that gives us more information. So I think a lot of times we cower away sometimes from stand up for ourselves and asking, but asking brings information and information can then guide our next step on what do we do with this, right? And if it's early in the relationship, pay attention to those yellow and red flags right away. You don't have to mark them as a problem, but keep them in the mind and see if it's pattern or just a one-off, right? Yeah. So would you say a partner that is unwilling 
to recognize that there's probably an issue there. Would you say not to sound bleak, but is there no hope? Like, would you say that's a reason to step out and leave? Or have you been able, have you witnessed partners eventually come around to fixing that problem? It can be either way. I think sometimes you have to look at is there is there any level of empathy on that person's part? Because if there's not empathy, it's going to be hard because they're really not going to see that there's a problem with them. They're really not going to see they need to do anything different. They're just going to see it's your problem, right? You fix it. You fix you and we're good, right? And that's generally not true in any relationship, whether it's parent-child, friendship, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouses, whatever. So I wouldn't say there's no hope. I mean, I'm sort of an eternal optimist, but I do have realism backing that up. But it, they do have to be willing to be confronted. And that's a big question mark. If they're not willing to be confronted to look at themselves, then I don't know why I would be spinning my wheels to try to get that to happen right now. Pause it, take a time away, work on myself, you know, and then see what happens from there. Again, the choices we make based on their responses will give them new responses to us and we can see, you know, how if it's if this is just where they are, they can't get beyond or if they do have some hope in themselves. A lot of times people are so down on themselves, they don't really feel like they deserve better than what they're creating. So they don't feel open to anything better. It's really not about us at that point. It's really about them. Exactly. I love that you brought up red flags because I think a lot of the podcast episodes where it's like terrible breakup stories, they look back and they have the hindsight and they're like, oh my gosh, that was actually kind of a red flag. How do you guide clients through noticing things that are red flags and how do you give them the courage to realize that leaving is an option? Yeah. I mean, I think people pretty much know what's going on. They can generally tell if this feels right or not if this is a good thing or not. But a lot of us are very hopeful. Like a lot of us want to see the best in other people. We don't want to judge. We don't want to be alone. Um, You know, this is my best option right now of a partner or whatever. There's a lot of things that can go into that. So I think it can be where, you know, if I feel there's a little bit of a yellow flag or red flag, I want to keep that in mind. And I want to continually ask myself, am I respected in this relationship? I mean, I also have to ask, am I giving respect? Because if I'm just being a jerk, you know, at a problem, then that's not going to be helpful. But am I receiving respect? And if I'm not, do I want and or deserve to stay in that? And I can do better. Not that I can do better than that person necessarily. We don't want to necessarily judge the person because we don't always know what that person has walked through in their lives. But regardless, I deserve better. And I think that's something hard to grab onto sometimes is that like, it's okay to deserve and embrace the fact that you deserve better. You know, I think that's worms for people. No, absolutely. Something else I wanted to ask you about was I did a podcast a while back where we talked specifically about cheating and we talked about the traits that sometimes go along with people who are most likely to treat to cheat. And one of those traits that kind of coincides with people who are typically cheaters are people who are narcissists or very confident, almost a little cocky. And I was wondering if you knew if there were typically any attractive traits that would sometimes coincide with people who are controlling. Like I think one we talked about in the main episode for this story that I've been referencing is she noticed that he was very protective, which I think can also coincide with controlling. Yes. And that that's that 
that is, and that's a great point because that's often why the flags don't seem so red or so yellow in the beginning. It's like, oh yeah, he kind of wanted me to wear a certain thing, but you know, it's okay because blah, blah, blah. And we brush it off because the other side in the beginning or for a little while outweighs it. Protection is definitely one. Gifts is another one. Taking care of is another one, you know, for, which kind of goes along with protection. But like, if I need something, maybe I don't even have to say it. Like he, he just knows I need it, but there's a cost. There's a catch to that, right? So it's almost like then now my sort of, um, not uh, obedience is kind of a weird word to use, but now my having to take on his narcissism is sort of, I'm kind of caught because I took the good stuff. So now I have to just receive the bad stuff too. And that's not true, but that's how it feels. And then if we don't receive it, then we're made to feel like, oh, we're just a gold digger. We're just looking, we're just looking to have everything work our way. And now it's all back on us gaslit again, right? So it can be really tough, but that is a great point that a lot of times the reason we don't see the flags is because of the good things that we are receiving in the beginning, right? So the, the wine and dine, the romance, and but it, a lot of times it's manipulative because it's a way to entice and attract to make sure that we are in and then the control begins. I've even witnessed that just in my own casual dating life. Literally in the last like two months, I went out with two completely different guys and they both did the exact same thing. It was like the third date and they spent way too much money on me on like dinners and stuff. Like we went to um, this really nice restaurant, $4 sign steakhouses for the third date. And I was like, there's gotta be a catch to this. And it turns out at the end of the night, like they were basically kind of manipulating me to a situation that they wanted. That was the end for me. Because I was like, I can very clearly see this as a red flag like this. If this is happening on date three, year three, this is going to blow up as something completely something totally different. But it was so hard to um, to recognize that because I was like, oh, my God, they're like whining and dining me. (laughs) Eating better is just one of the things that makes me feel better. And you know what also makes me feel better? Not having to clean up my kitchen when I just want to eat. This living alone thing is great until you realize you're responsible for all the cooking and cleaning around the apartment. And something that's been really helpful for me around mealtime is Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You've got over 35 different options to choose from each week, including Calorie Smart. Protein Plus and Keto. Each meal takes about two minutes to heat up and there's so many yummy options like pancakes, smoothies, and more. Also, you know I love an afternoon snack and there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is also super flexible, so if you want to pause and skip for a couple of weeks, you can totally do that. Head to factormeals.com slash breakup50 and use code breakup50 to get 50% off. That's code breakup50 at factormeals.com slash breakup50 to get 50% off. If you're like me and the second you get home from work, you are ravenous. You are going to love these new meals I've been trying out from Factor. Factor has delicious, ready-to-eat meals that you can make in two minutes with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. It's so convenient. I have like grocery store ADHD. Anytime I go to like Publix or something, I'm buying everything. And then I come home with no meals. Whereas Factor, it's all the meal prep done for you. You've got 35 different options 
options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and so much more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. If you want to get started today and have a feel good week of meals ready to go, head to factormeals.com slash breakup50 and use code breakup50 to get 50% off. That's code breakup50 at factormeals.com slash breakup50 to get 50% off. Right. But so for you though, that what made you stop and be like, I'm not, that's not for me. No way. I'm not getting involved with that now that I've realized what's happening. Like what actually made you not continue that path? I think I felt like my body was being bought. Okay. You thought a night with me would be worth the $250 steak dinner. Like that, it felt a little cheap to me, honestly. And it was a huge, huge turnoff. I don't know if other, if it's common for other women to to feel obligated. And so they think that they can manipulate women into doing that. Like, well, she'll probably sleep with me because she'll feel bad with for me spending all this money on her. If I'm really going to wine and dine her, like she probably is going to feel obligated in some way. And I did not in any way. I, the only thing I felt obligated to do was call an Uber home and... <laughs> <laughs> go, to bed, go to bed with my cat <laughs> and watch Pride and Prejudice. That's and, awesome. Yeah, it's something I recognized while I was editing this episode because I think similar things happen where she, one thing that I thought was interesting because I thought it was one of the blurriest lines. This woman mentioned that her ex-husband was always trying to spend time with her and would ne- anytime she went out with friends, he had to go with her. Anytime her friends wanted to do something, they had to come to their house. And in her mind, she's like, he's my husband. He loves me so much. He just never wants to be apart from me. I mean, like, of course, like I'm sure there was some level of that, but at the same time, it does seem very controlling. Right. To where you can't have your own independence. You can't have your own not girls night out. You can't do anything else. It's almost like that's really not an option or it's definitely not the best option or it's an option you're going to kind of have to fight for, which should not be the case. Right. And something you mentioned, too, and I, I do think this is important um, when you were saying like you kind of knew like the best thing to do right now is to get the Uber and get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really a testament to your own level of self value. I mean, we don't always have 100 percent of our self-value intact. There are things that impact us. Sometimes we feel good. Sometimes we feel like we're all on our game and sometimes we feel like low and we're not. But overall, like you are not going to allow that. And I do think that's something that can happen is you have the controlling person whose self-esteem is low, but it's overcompensated. So it looks like huge, like self-esteem. But then the partner who they're controlling also might have some self-esteem issues and they can't really bring themselves to separate independently from that relationship. So there, that's the self-work I think that might need to go on. So it's not always about just the controlling partner because if you didn't have that level of self-value in you, in that moment, you might've just continued being wine and dine and be like, okay, you know what? I love nice four-star restaurants or $4 restaurants. I'll just stay with it for a squirrel a little while, but you could already see it. So I do think that's kind of a, another like warning sign or like strategy is be willing to acknowledge our own value and not shy away from that. And be re- I'll also be willing to recognize that the person trying to control is struggling with their value on some level. I think I definitely could pick that up a little bit. Not to, They were great guys, but I could definitely tell it was overcompensating a little bit. So let's talk about the value thing for a second, because that's something those are my most listen to bonus episodes is the episodes where we kind of dive into Mm self-worth. So have you worked with clients one-on-one with 
learning to build their self-worth and how they value themselves? And if so, how do you go about that? <laughs> Again, <laughs> solve trauma in two minutes. Exactly. Let's go for it. Here we go. Start. Okay. Um, so here's one thing. The brain, and you may have had this on other episodes too, so maybe it'll be a good reminder. The brain only knows what it's told. Okay. We don't come into this world knowing anything. Everything you know, everything I know, everything all your listeners who are listening know, only know it from life experience, education, information, what they were told, how they were brought up. So the why I'm saying that is if we don't have a great self-value, if we don't have great self-worth, it's probably due in large part to what we've been told about ourselves and also what we tell ourselves about ourselves from all of that. So the hard news is those pathways in the brain are pretty well etched in. I mean, that's kind of the default. Like I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not good at this. I don't have a backbone, blah, blah, blah. but we can always build new pathways by telling ourselves different things. So I, that's the biggest thing I think with self value is to begin giving ourselves empowering self statements, whether we believe them or not. You do not have to believe them. The brain doesn't care if we believe them or not. The brain just needs to hear it repetitively so that it can condition to a new default. So in, instead of saying like, I always, I, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a mess. Like I always attract these loser guys that, and then I get in these toxic relationships. I'm, I must just be toxic. I'm just a toxic person. Now the brain will always default to I'm a toxic person. Anytime something happens and now it's me, right? Instead of I'm capable of making better judgments, I'm I'm worth more than these toxic relationships. Even if you don't believe it, say it over and over, write it down, put it on post notes, stick it on your mirror, write it on your mirror and lipstick, whatever you got to do to re reinforce, reinforce. That's one of the biggest things, because what I generally will do is I'll have a client like take a write write down their positive traits and then their negative qualities. And inevitably, there's like five, six, eight on the positive, maybe. And there's like 30,000 on the negative. That's just how we see ourselves. Then we go in and we I, I, we read the positives and we're like, okay, how do you feel after reading those? I feel good. How do you feel after reading the negatives? I feel horrible. Right. The brain doesn't know. The brain just knows what we tell it. So that's a big part is the self statements, the I statements. And then also peeling away our past from our identity. So like if I've always had bad relationships, I am not a toxic magnet. I have had toxic relationships. There's a big difference between saying I am this and I have this. If I say I am this problem or whatever, I am not worthy or whatever, it's really hard to peel that identity away. But if I say I have these tendencies, well, I have $5, but if I go to Chick-fil-A and spend it, I don't have $5 anymore. So we can get rid of what we don't have, what we have but it's harder for us mentally to get rid of what we feel like we are. So that's a lot of what we work on, that distinction. That really can make a difference. And then you bring in experiences where, you know, you don't have a toxic relationship, like maybe at work or maybe when you used to nanny or whatever. Well, what was different there? You're the same person. So you can't, if you're so, if you're totally toxic, you can't be non-toxic here. You are non-toxic, but we need to get that message to the brain. Right. So a lot of it is just self-work, self-statements and really just empowering from just your own value because you have a, a pulse and you breathe, but also because you extend value in in life beyond that relationship. What I loved about what you just said is it's something that we can all do tomorrow morning. We can all wake up tomorrow and write I am X, Y and Z on our bathroom mirror and know from a licensed professional that it's actually something that's going to be impactful for the rest of our day. Yeah. And I love that you said that because I, when it comes to affirmations, like I think I've always felt like they were so woo woo, like look in the mirror and be like, I am powerful. 
I am superwoman. If that's really like the psychology behind it, if our brain is going to believe whatever I tell it, then why wouldn't I wake up every morning and give myself a list of everything that I at least want to become? And everybody can do that starting literally at once this podcast ends. Absolutely. And and if it's too, and that's a good point about how they do seem kind of woo-woo and superficial and like cheesy. If it seems too cheesy and you don't buy into it, what the, what somebody can do is say things that are factual. Like if this is factual, I am educated. Mm-hmm. I am a radio co-host. And the things that are factual, because like not everybody's educated, fine, no judgment. Not everybody's a radio co-host, fine, no judgment. Not everybody is a single mom raising their kid alone and bringing that kid to success. That's mm-hmm. so you can, you can start with facts that you don't have to like, believe I am lovable. I am capable. Like all that stuff, <laughs> but that's the cheesy stuff. People are like, I'm not there, but where you are is who you are. So you can start with those because when you say I am educated, then the brain can go to, yeah, man, I put in a ton of hours getting that degree or I'm a traveler. Yeah, I I took myself out of my city and moved to a new city where I didn't know anybody. I'm adventurous. And then it can spawn actual other facts. And then from there, we get to the other things. So if it's hard to go to the foo-foo stuff, start with the facts. It's just as powerful. Do you have any advice for combating negative thoughts? Because I was just thinking about myself maybe doing that like after we get off this call or doing it tomorrow morning before work. And then I just had all those little negative voices in my head going, okay, yes, you're educated, but also X, Y, and Z and like sort of negating the things that I'm telling myself. What's your advice for combating the little, the little voice that wants to tear you down? So a lot of times we want to sweep that away or we want to just stop it, you know, stop those voices. Don't listen to them. I actually think of those as the bully in our brain, right? That is our, those are our brain bullies. So best thing you can do with a bully is confront the bully because eventually the bully will not have as much power. So actually say, I am, what, which one did you say? I'm educated or which one did you say just a second ago? Yeah. I'm, cause I, yes, I'm educated. Okay. I am educated, but blah, blah. Yeah. All that may be true, but regardless, I am educated. Like I would acknowledge and give a, a moment of credence to it, but then come back with the, but I am educated no ifs, ands, or buts, because it's just a way to, it's it's okay to acknowledge it. We just don't want them, those thoughts to start controlling us. If we acknowledge we're in control, if we, if we are, if we acknowledge and then we move into something more helpful, but if we don't acknowledge they're in control because they're, they know we're trying to ignore them. So then they just push even harder, just like a little kid would. And then when we finally give them the, the open door, then we just feel terrible about ourselves. And it's just not worth it. I love that because we've talked about it on The Burt Show where we're supposed to create like an alter ego in our mind of like the little bully in our head. Mine's, I named it Patricia because um, funny. And we were supposed to go like a full day telling it to shut up. And that didn't work for me because I would listen to Patricia. And I'm like, Patricia kind of raising some valid points. And I felt like if I totally ignored the criticisms of myself, then I would just stay in a place of complacency, which I'm sure is something I need to really work through in therapy. But I like that we're not, with that concept, we're not totally ignoring some of of the valid criticisms that Patricia has, but also like not letting it become the driver of my own. Yeah, I think of it sometimes, and this may not be the best analogy, but like I think about like a coach and an athlete. Like an athlete is not going to be on every aspect of their game 100% every single game, right? So the coach can either come in and be like, yo, you know, like if it's a baseball, you know, your, your bat isn't awake yet. What's the deal? You're not fielding well. What's going on? 
And the baseball player at that point has to either take all that in and just forget all the stuff that they are good at or take it in and be like, yeah, I'm having a rough day, but I'm still I'm still a good pitcher. I'm still on this team. I'm still starting. So I just got to get it. I just got to acknowledge it and move on. So there's a lot of mental space there that we have to decide what we want to do with. But if we listen to the criticism and adopt that as fact, we're doing ourselves a disservice because there's other facts that don't deserve that criticism. So yeah, I, I'm always about acknowledging because like when somebody like this is a little bit off topic, when somebody's going through a high level of anxiety, they try to like, okay, I'm not anxious. I'm not going to think about it. I can't think about that right now. And all that does is heighten the anxiety more. And now we're anxious about the fact that we have anxiety and whatever we're anxious about. It's just hard. So one of the mindfulness strategies is there's four strategies and this can work for the, the mindset as well is to acknowledge and then to release replace and attach. So you want to acknowledge the anxiety or the negative thought process and then release it and replace it with something much more powerful and true and then attach to that. We don't want to attach to the negative Mm -hmm. and we don't have to. We're just conditioned to do that. So we want to attach the positive, right? So I'm educated. Yeah, but it took eight years and yeah, but but did you really go to the best school? And well, I mean, did you really do your best? Okay, you know what? Yeah, all that, but I am educated and I'm using my education now. So I'm attaching to that and I'm not going to put my attachment in the negative. That's amazing. Okay, well, I'm glad we ended on how to be productive and proactive about A, if we're not in a controlling relationship, how to avoid them. Basically, yeah. if somebody takes you out to a fancy dinner, take the Uber home, <laughs> unless they're like a lovely person by the end of the night. Do you have any final tips, pieces of advice, things that we didn't get to when it co- when it comes to control or building self- self-worth? Anything you want to throw in there? I mean, uh, it feels like it mostly comes down to pattern. If the patterns don't serve us well, we deserve new patterns, whether it's other with our relationships, within our own head whether it's how we're operating in our daily lives. It, my, my phrase, especially when I do my hypnosis with my clients is, if it does not serve you, it does not deserve you. And if there's no other mantra to take on, that is a great mantra because then we're not saying I'm lovable, I'm capable, but we're saying I deserve something here. So I would just say, if the patterns don't serve us, we deserve better patterns and we have the power to create some of those, so. Amen to that. Well, thank you so much for coming on and giving us so much great advice. Do you have any social media? Do you want, do you want uh, my listeners to follow you anywhere? They're so sweet. Well, let's see. So my practice is New Perspectives for Life, LLC. So I have that as a Facebook page and uh, mostly on Facebook, but I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram a little bit. And um, yeah, you can just find me that way or on my website, newperspectivesforlife.com. But thanks so much, Abby. This is great. I appreciate all that you do. Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming on.